Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. As we started believing about resilience, that was the the second part of what we heard God say to us, is to have lives of resilient faith to be a church that leads believers in resilient faith. What does it mean to have resilience in your life? What does it mean to be someone who lasts, someone who continues, someone who carries on? When I think of resilience, the person that comes to mind most quickly is the story of someone named Luis Zamperini. Maybe you don't know him. He competed in the Olympics in 1936. 1936 Olympics was held in Berlin. It's the last Olympics that was held before World War II launched. There is a ton of political implications around what happened at the 1936 Olympics. But at the 1936 Olympics, Luis ran for the United States. But not long after he ran at this 1936 Olympics in Berlin, Luis found himself, like so many other young men, fighting in World War II. I will not take you through his incredible life story, but his plane crashed and he was stranded out to sea for about 50 days. When he was finally rescued from the sea, he was rescued by opposition forces and he was held as a prisoner of war for another extended period of time where he endured incredible hardships. In the midst of that time where he was malnourished and he was beaten and he was worked all day long, he had an opportunity to get out of the incredibly difficult situation he was in. He was offered the opportunity, while still being a prisoner of war, to have slightly less horrific circumstances, to have regular meals, to be in a more comfortable uh, room, to be in a more comfortable bed, to not maybe be beaten quite so often, and in exchange for more favorable conditions, what he would do on behalf of the opposition was help them spread a little bit of propaganda about their cause. Now, many others took up their enemies on this offer, and and understandably so. Being hungry, being beaten, being worked in the heat is an incredibly difficult life, but Luis was a man of incredible integrity and refused to be part of the message that the enemy was trying to send out. He refused to be part of partnering with the enemy and instead was sent back out to work in the heat, to struggle with the other prisoners of war. Luis survived this experience and he maintained his integrity throughout it. And even beyond that, in 1998, he was part of the Olympics where he carried the torch and was one of the representatives of the reconciliation that happened at that Olympic Games. What kind of a person is this? that just continues 
to stand, that continues to hold on to their integrity, that continues to walk, that continues to live, that continues to endure despite what is thrown at them, despite the conditions that they find themselves in, despite the change in what they imagined for their life and where they find themselves. What kind of a person is it that just keeps on going, that doesn't fall, that doesn't falter, that doesn't lose their way? What kind of a resilient person is this? Where does that kind of resilience come from? And that is the kind of resilience. Maybe you won't need resilience like Huis needed. Hopefully you will never need that level of resilience. But when God started speaking to us about what he's calling our church to in this season, You know the old saying that sometimes the thing that makes you the most frustrated, the thing that makes you the most upset is potentially the thing that God is calling you to. I'm not going to get too upset, too worked up, too early. We're still in the intro part of today. But I am so tired of hearing about believers losing their way. I am so tired of hearing about teenagers losing their faith at college. I am so tired of hearing about people go through a divorce and lose their relationship with Jesus because of it. I am so tired of believers who had faith in one season losing it in another. God has called us to resilient faith. Faith that can carry you through every situation. Faith that is for your mountaintop moment and for your valley moment. Faith that is for the thing you saw coming and the thing you didn't see coming. A relationship with Jesus that will carry you and carry you and carry you all the way to the end. You were built for resilient faith. This is a house of resilient believers. We live lives of resilient faith, not faith that counts on my moment, not faith that just stands for right now, not faith that's just for when God shows up in the way I wanted him to show up. Faith that is going to take me all the way to my well-done, good, and faithful servant. When I'm five, I'm going to serve him. When I'm 25, I'm going to serve him. When I'm 50, I'm going to serve him. When I'm 95, I'm going to serve him. When I go home to heaven, I'm going to serve him for eternity. We have a resilient faith. A faith that lasts. Where do you get this kind of faith? Where do you get this kind of resilience? If you're taking notes, who got a new notebook today? Come on, all of our volunteers, where are your notebooks at? Yes, volunteers crew, you got, Brent. can I see somebody's? Tracy, you're not taking notes, yours is still in the package. Okay, all right, it's somebody else's. These are your brand new declaration, note taking, we declare notebooks. And you can take notes in this wonderful, ah, uh, notebook. Hello, this is why, let me just tell you, this is an aside. 
Did you know that your capacity to remember things increases when you physically write it down in a notebook, right? And come on, all my millennials, all my zeers, I know I'm all about the digital life, but when you write this down, something different happens in your brain than when you just sit, when you put it on your phone, when you just listen. So we want you to have a resilient faith. One of the ways you have a resilient faith is that you write it down, you remember it, you get it deep inside of you. So all of our volunteers as part of our Resilient Sunday today, you received your notebook when you came in. If you didn't, your team leaders have it, etc. If you are not a volunteer or if you want a bonus, you can buy these at the corner. Yes, you can buy these at the corner. Get your notebook to remember what is going on and make it a part of your resilient life. All right, commercial over. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew chapter seven, we hear the words of Jesus here, and he is telling us a little bit of something about a resilient life and an unresilient life. In Matthew seven, starting in verse 24, it says, Every then, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and it beat on the house. Has anyone ever felt like you have been beaten on by life? But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Father God, I thank you that you're here. I thank you for what you have already done in this service. We bring our lives to you. I bring this message to you, God. I ask it to produce good fruit in our life, lasting fruit. Give us a resilient faith for every season, Jesus. And especially today as we gather, God, we wanna lift up our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan today and ask for your supernatural covering. God, we ask you to confuse the hand of the enemy. We thank you for angels that will guard, that will protect. God, we thank you that you're watching over them. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. It ends and it says, and great was the fall of that house. The house that was built on the sand, the winds came, the rain came, the flood came, the beating to the house came just as it came to the house that was founded on the rock. But when it came to the house that was on the sand, it says great was the fall. Not a little fall, not a sudden fall, not a quiet collapsing, a great fall. I want you to picture incredible collateral damage when this house fell. Part of what it's telling you is that when the house falls, it doesn't just take its own four walls with it. There is collateral damage when a house falls. The impact is great. When you lose your faith, when someone walks away from their faith in Jesus, there is the immediate impact to their house, to their life, and there is the collateral damage of what is happening around it as well. 
I don't know if you remember the pictures of the horrific apartment collapses that happened in Miami just a couple months ago. They fell and there was damage surrounding those apartments everywhere that they went. It means something the way that you build your house. It means something the way that you support your house. It means something what you build it on. Come on, every leader knows this. It means something the way that you lead your business. It means something the way that you lead your team. When you lead your team in a direction, if you build it on a solid foundation, the outcome for all of those who follow you is solid. But if you build it on a sandy foundation, the outcome for all of those who follow you is a great fall. It's not just that your business fell, it's all of those other 30 employees and their families and all of the collateral damage of all of the people who no longer have a job and no longer have support and no longer have insurance. Come on, parents, the way that you lead your life, the way that you foster your marriage matters because it's not just about the two of you, it's about the collateral damage of what is going to happen to your friendship group, to your children to the investments that you've made, the collateral damage that happens when we build our life on sand. Now, great is his grace for us in every situation, but the collateral damage of a life built on sand means there is a great fall. In contrast, there is the house that's built on a solid foundation. It says the wise man built his house on a solid foundation and the rain came and the flood came and the winds came and the beating came, but his house still stood. When you build your house on a solid foundation, there is stability for your house and there is longevity for your house. In stability, things are able to flourish. There is predictability. We know what is coming when we come to you. We know what we're gonna get when we come to you because you are stable, because you are consistent, because you have a solid foundation under you. I don't have to question what I'm gonna find you doing on a Sunday morning. I don't have to question whether or not you've prayed about something. I don't have to question whether or not you're a safe place for me to bring my concerns because I know that you are stable in all that you do because you have built your life on a solid foundation. And there is longevity. The idea of a foundation is that the foundation should outlast the rest of the house. When you study foundations, the foundation is built to last longer than the house. So you can uproot this part and rebuild it. You can tear down that part and rebuild it as long as the foundation is still good. A foundation gives you longevity. And the material that you build your foundation from matters. It matters what you put in your foundation. It matters what you pour in your foundation. It matters what you allow to get mixed up on the inside of your foundation before it gets set. What is set in your foundation? Practically speaking, there are many things that you can build a decent foundation out of. You can build a good foundation out of concrete. That's probably what you're most used to seeing around here. You can build a solid foundation out of brick. You can even sometimes build a decent foundation out of wood. You cannot 
build a good foundation in any of the research I have looked into out of sand. Because sand is constantly shifting. It moves and it scatters. Sand is not bound together. It doesn't hold together. It's not solid. It continually moves underneath whatever you put on top of it. It continually shifts to whatever pressure is being applied to it. Anytime something moves into sand, sand just makes space for that thing. And there are some things that your foundation should not make space for in your life. If your foundation is too soft and is too shifting and is too movable, anything that comes into it will start to make a print in your foundation there should be some solidity to your foundation that says some things don't belong here some things don't stick here some things aren't part of my foundation no you don't want to build your foundation on things that are constantly moving and are constantly shifting things like opinions and approvals you cannot build your life on opinions and approvals of others you build your life on the opinions and the approvals of people that you don't even know because they gave you a like on a social media platform, because they gave you a share on a social media platform, and your entire existence is built around the likes, the approvals, the opinions of other people because they say, oh, it would look better if you parted your hair on the other side. Now all of a sudden you wear your hair parted on the other side because some yahoo who you've never met left a comment on your TikTok post about which way your hair should be parted and guess what this is the thing because it is a moving shifting sandy platform to build your life on and you spend all of your resources and all of your time and all of your energy becoming an Instagram influencer and then everybody said oh we're over Instagram we talked to jumped over here and we're on TikTok now and now the sand that you had built your life on just whoop it moved and it's all over here now because somebody pushed it over there because you have built your entire life on the opinions and the approvals of people that you don't even know. But let's walk it a little bit closer. What about the opinions and the approval, approvals of your friends and of your coworkers? of the people who are in your life, of the people who you look eye to eye to, of the people who you stand with every day and they tell you, you know what, what if you lived your life a little bit more like this? Or what if we just fudged these numbers this one time so that our department could get a bolster? You know what, I think that it's really great that you're going out there and buying that new car even though you don't really have money for it because you look fly in that run right there. And you have built your life on the opinions and the approvals of people whose opinions and approvals have nothing to do with the foundation that you should be building your life on, the foundation of a strong life, of a resilient life, because those same opinions and approvals are gonna shift someday. They're gonna move someday. They're gonna get transferred to a different office someday, and you're gonna be left there on a sandy foundation. You're gonna be left there on a shifting foundation. You're gonna be left there having built your life, having built your career, having built your identity on the opinions and the approvals of your friends and of your co-workers what about the opinions of the cultural group that you came from whatever people group you grew oh we're gonna go all the way today about a shifting sand 
about a shifting context, about a foundation that was never intended to be the lasting, resilient foundation of your life. And God, like Abraham, said, come up out of there to a land that I will show you. But you're not sure if you can come up out of the place where you have come from because every time you want to come up out of it, there are opinions and approvals about the group that you came up with about how we vote around here and about what we say around here and about where we live around here and about how we dress around here and about how we talk around here and they are shifting sands because they'll move on you just like that and they'll shift on you just like that and you have built your entire life on a culture that is not the kingdom culture and we're going to talk about it all in September about the kingdom of God that he came to establish. Don't build your life on the shifting sands of the people group that you grew up in. Build your life on something solid. Build your life on something with longevity. Build your life on something with some stability in it because opinions and preferences will change. Opinions and, opinions and approvals will move. Opinions and approvals will shift on you in a heartbeat and you cannot build your life on what is constantly moving, what is constantly shifting, what is constantly scattering and still have a resilient faith. You cannot build your life on opinions and approvals any more than you can build your life on traditions and preferences. We cannot build a resilient faith on our traditions and on our preferences. There are things that I like, but there is nothing that I like more than seeing people come home to Jesus and live a resilient faith. And sometimes we put our traditions and we put our preferences ahead of what Jesus is calling us to do. Because I liked it this way, because I knew it this way, because I grew up with it this way, because I believe that I, I prefer it this way, and so I just want to be in an environment that I'm comfortable in. But if there is a, a tradition or a preference that's not serving the main thing of declaring Jesus everywhere, then my preference, then my tradition has to become secondary to the main thing of declaring Jesus everywhere. I was in a, a conversation uh, earlier this week with, with a pastor somewhere, and he, he said this phrase, he said, well, I have a responsibility to the Sunday service. And I said, can you, can you clarify that for me? And he went on to explain how, how he feels so committed to a Sunday morning service and to that time slot and to that service space that his commitment is to that. And I, I said, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I think I see it a little bit differently. I see my commitment as being to Jesus and to the people that he's called me to serve. My commitment is not to a day. My commitment is not to a time slot. My commitment is not to the way that we do things. And you feel how tense y'all are right now? Because your commitment is to your tradition. You're so afraid right now that I'm getting ready to tell you that we're not doing Sunday morning services anymore that you don't even know what to say. Rest assured, we have no intention at this moment of doing anything but different than our Sunday morning 10 a.m. services. With that out of the way, can you come along with me 
and understand that if our Sunday morning 10 a.m. service is not serving the main thing of declaring Jesus everywhere and leading believers in a life of resilient faith, then our Sunday morning 10 a.m. service has to move because it is not the foundation that I build my life on. The way that I do things is not the foundation that I build my, I like coming to service every Sunday at 10 a.m. I like that when I put my kids to bed on Saturday night and I say, tomorrow's Sunday, they say, yay, we go to church on Sunday. I love coming to church on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. I have been doing it my whole life, but that is my preference. That is my tradition. And if my preference and if my tradition is not leading me to declaring Jesus everywhere and leading other believers in a life of resilient faith, then my tradition and my preference have to alter. Come on, when we look at the New Testament church, they changed communion. Look at church history. Jesus sat them down and had a full meal with them and said, remember me this way. And that's what they did for the first little bit of the new church. But then it was not serving the church well. And so the leaders got together and they said, this is not helping us lead believers to Jesus anymore. This is creating conflict in us. This is creating strife in us. This is making us a little bit more disconnected like sand than it is unified like a foundation. So we are going to make an adjustment to this tradition right here. We are going to make an adjustment to the way we do this right here. And they said our preference has to be changed so that we can keep the main thing the main thing. I believe if the apostles could do it in the early church and make some adjustments, then we as believers now can make, I'm not talking about moving away from the pinnacles of our faith. I'm not talking about moving away from the foundation of our faith. We're going to get there in just a second. I'm talking about our traditions and our preferences have to be secondary, sometimes even tertiary to keeping ourselves focused on declaring Jesus everywhere. I know, you're still nervous I'm coming for your Sunday morning. Let's talk about somebody who I think would have preferred for his life to be used in a little bit different way. Somebody who would have preferred for his story to be able to roll out a little bit differently. If you can, I'd love for you to turn to the book of Hosea with me. It's in the Old Testament. Hosea is a prophet. He's a prophet of God. He is known among the people to be the one who hears from God. And in the book of Hosea, someone has put together his writing. Someone, an editor, gathered together his writings, his poetry, Hosea's reflections on what his life was and what God spoke to him. And in the first three chapters, we see something about Hosea's life, about the way that God used Hosea's life. I'm going to jump a little bit. We're going to read Hosea 1, 2, and 3. It says, and when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of a whoredom and have children of whoredom and the land as the land commits a great whoredom in forsaking the Lord. So he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now jump with me to chapter three. This is kind of the end of this segment in the book. And it says in chapter three, verses one uh, three, I think this is verses one and two. 
It says, and the Lord said to me, go again and love the woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love the cakes of raisins. So I, this being Hosea, bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethki of barley. What has happened here? Have you ever had that feeling in your life? where you go, it feels like it's just been just a couple of lines. It's just been a couple of chapters. What has happened here? How have we gotten ourselves to this moment? What has happened here is Hosea is an upstanding man of God. He is called by God. He is known in the city to be the prophet called by God, the one who speaks on behalf of God, the one who speaks for God to the people, who scribes out what heaven is saying. He is an upstanding, holy man. And God comes to him and says, I want to speak to you about the wife that I want you to take. I want to speak to you about the partner who you're going to bring into your life. And no doubt, Hosea is thinking of all of these upstanding women in the community who are daughters of leading businessmen and daughters of priests and women who are eligible to stand by such a holy man as Hosea. And God said, I have a different plan for you, Hosea. I'm going to make a spectacle out of your life. I'm going to make a picture out of your life. I want you to go find someone who has become a prostitute in your life. I want you to go find someone who is not looked on well by society. And I want you to make her your wife. I want you to bring her into your home. And I want you to have children with her and commit your life to her. And so Hosea, as a man of God, does what he has been asked to do. And he finds Gomer and he brings her into his home and they have children together. They have three children together. And so they live together, we know, at least for a little bit of time. But somewhere along the way, the thing that was in Gomer starts drawing her back to the place that she came from. And it says that Gomer leaves Hosea's house and she returns to her life of prostitution. And when we read it in the text, it's easy to glimpse over it and think, how could she do such a thing? She has been brought in to a safe home. She has been brought in to relationship with a caring man, with a loving man. She has children to take care of. What is? And we don't know all of the details of what drew her back, but we know that there is something on the inside of her that takes her out of her place of safety, out of her place of covering, out of her place of provision and places her back in the iniquity that she had already been brought out of. And we think, Gomer, how ridiculous of you. Until we look at our own lives and realize how often we go back to the thing that we said that we were leaving. How often God draws us into a place of peace and teaches us to tame our tongue, but we draw ourselves back because there's something in us that's drawn to anger. There's something in us that kind of likes to self-sabotage. And so even though we find ourselves in a good, stable job, we can't help but making our boss our enemy because there's just something inside of us that has to self-sabotage a situation that God has given us. And just like Gomer, we return ourselves to the thing that God has called us out of. And then God tells Hosea to do something crazy. He tells him to go find Gomer. 
Go find her. Go search for her. And can you imagine Hosea? He's been rejected. He's been hurt. She intentionally left him despite the home that he built for her, despite the way that he welcomed her in, despite the way that he cared for her, despite all that they had together, despite the children that they had together. She has made an ugly mess of this, and she has wounded him on the way out. And God says to him, go find her. And if I'm Hosea, I'm like... Nah, God, you tell her if she wants to come back, come on back. And maybe I'll talk about letting her back in. But God says, Hosea, go find her. And so out goes Hosea, searching through the city, looking in all of the corners, looking in all of the alleys of town that a man of God should never be seen, looking in all of the, of the places that he has never been into before, looking in every dis disreputable corner, in every disreputable lounge, in every house that he knows he should be avoiding, being seen by others, being talked about by others as he walks around and you can hear them whisper spring. Isn't that Hosea? I heard Gomer left him. I heard Gomer's been walking out on him. I heard somebody saw Gomer over there on the other side of the tracks. Don't you see Hosea? And he's being embarrassed and he's being shamed and he's having things put on him that should have never been put on him because he was just doing what he was supposed to be doing. And he goes and he finally finds Gomer. And when he finds her, you have to read what's there in the poetic language. It says he buys her for 15 shekels and takes her home. Gomer has gone out and gone back to her sin, and now she's gotten herself even more entangled than she was before because she's in some kind of a slave trade situation where it's not just that she's in control of prostituting herself, but it's likely some kind of a debt exchange for slavery that she has built up debt, and now someone else owns her and her slave her sin has entangled her in slavery in a way that she was never even entangled before because when we go back to that thing that draws us it says it draws us in even deeper the second time the enemy comes back even harder when he tries to come at you a second time and so there Hosea is looking at the woman who is his wife who he's already brought into his home who is already his own who should already belong to him and he's trying to explain to them that's my wife I just want to take her home and how embarrassing for him to have to stand there and say the woman that you're selling the woman who looks beaten the woman who looks ragged the woman who looks like she's not worth it that's my wife and I'd just like to take her home and they say I don't care what you want to do she's for sale today and she belongs to me now and so Hosea says fine if that's how we're going to Play it, I will pay for what already belongs to me. And he pays for Gomer and he takes her home and he brings her back into the place that she always should have been. This is not the life that Hosea wanted for himself. And when I read the story, I like to put myself in the hero slot. I like to be Luke Skywalker when I'm watching the movie. I like to be Hosea. I am the rescuer who responded to God. I am the rescuer who went out hunting. I am the rescuer who found those who were hurting, whom who were lost, and I pulled them out of the pit, and I brought them home. But I am not the hero in the story. 
You are not the hero in this story. We are Gomer in this story. This is the picture that God is making of Hosea's life. Here's a tip for when you're reading the Old Testament. Always find Jesus in the story. The Old Testament is revealing Jesus to us over and over again. And in this story, Hosea is a picture for us of Jesus. And Gomer is us. He brought us home and he put us in right relationship with him. And there is something on the inside of us that keeps going back to our sin, that keeps getting ourselves more bound up, that keeps getting ourselves more tied up. And so Jesus came and he said, hey, they belong to me, but we had made a deal because of our debt with the enemy and the enemy said they belong to me now. And Jesus said, no, they belong to me. And the enemy said, well, there's a price on their head now. And Jesus said, fine, I will pay for what I already own to bring them home again. And Hosea brings Gomer home and Jesus brings us home. And it gets even better than that. Listen to verse three and three. It says, and I said to her, you must dwell as mine as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore any longer or belong to another. And so will I also be to you. What is Hosea doing? This is covenant language. It's when you are here and I am here, there is a lasting bond between us. I know the situation has changed, but our commitment has not changed. I know the circumstance has changed, but my compassion for you has not changed. I know you found yourself in the dirt and in the mar and I, you found yourself bound up in sin, but my covenant with you is the same. Hosea is renewing his vows with Gomer. Jesus comes to us time and time again and renews his covenant with us. He renews his relationship with us for every time we fall. This is the solid rock that we build our life on. Not on our ability. Not on our unshiftingness. Not on our unchangingness. On Jesus Christ and his unfailing love. For I am going to fall, and I am going to falter, and I will be drawn back to the things that he has brought me out of, but he will never change. He is faithful in every season. He is solid in every season. His love is unchanging. His consistency is unchanging. His covenant with me is unchanging. The solid rock of a resilient life is not how well I can do. It's not how good I can do. It's not how holy I am. It's not how capable I am. It's not the achievements I've gone after. It's not how often I show up on a Sunday. It is the unfailing, changing, never-ending love of Jesus Christ. And it chases after me when I've gone out on a straight, when I've made up my mind to go after sin. He still comes after me and he renews his covenant with me time and time again. He draws me home to him time and time again. This is what Matthew is saying. 
He says the winds are going to come and the rain is going to come and the flood is going to come and the beatings are going to come. You will face hardships in this life. You will face decisions of others in this life. You will face decisions of your own in this life. But there is a solid foundation that when those decisions come against you, when those beatings come against you, will not change. And that is the solid foundation of Jesus and his unfailing love. Ephesians calls Jesus the cornerstone of our foundation. It is the peace that cannot move. It is the peace that you cannot take out. It is the peace that if you take that peace out, the whole tower crumbles. I don't know if you've ever played Jenga with a toddler, but they have zero regard for the structural integrity of the tower. They go after those bottom corner pieces. The bottom corner piece has to stay in place. It has to stay intact. We build our lives on Jesus Christ. We declare Jesus everywhere because opinions might change and preferences might change and approvals might change and traditions might change, but Jesus never changes. He is the cornerstone. He is the bedrock. He is the sure foundation that I build my life on. I don't build my life on miracles. I don't build my faith on church services. I don't build my faith on people. I don't build my faith on relationships because if the miracles don't come, I'm going to lose my faith if that's what I've built on. If the service doesn't happen, I'm going to lose my faith if that's what I've built my faith on. If the person falls or shifts or moves, I'm going to lose my faith if that's what I've built my life on. If the relationship changes on me, I might lose my faith if that's what I have built my faith on. I build my faith on Jesus Christ and his unfailing love. Because he is Jesus Christ and he has unfailing love, he walks me into miracles. He walks me into church services. He walks me into right relationships. He walks me into healthy community. But those things are not the foundation of my faith. You can take them if you want to, but don't take Jesus. Don't wander from Jesus. Don't leave the foundation of your faith. Add whatever you want. Move whatever you want. Change whatever you want. But the solid foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. And we are going to stand on a solid foundation. You are going to last on a solid foundation. You are not going to lose your faith. You are not going to lose your mind. You are not going to lose your resilience. You were built to last. You were built to make it. You have what it takes to go all the way. You have what it takes to raise those children. You have what it takes to have that conversation. You have what it takes to make it to the finish line. You have what it takes to live a life of resilient faith because you have built your life on the never ending, ever standing, always there, always faithful, Jesus Christ and him alone. There is nothing but Jesus, nothing but Jesus. We build our life on Jesus. That's the whole message. That's the whole thing. 
is that we declare Jesus everywhere. And I don't know what he's calling you to today. We got to wrap this up. We got baptisms. I don't know what he's calling you to today. Because what I do know is that when Hosea came to find Gomer, Gomer had to take that step. He said, I'll buy her. I'll pay that price. I have paid for her. And Gomer had to take that step to go home with Hosea. Wherever you are in your journey with Jesus, there is a step for you to be taking. Maybe he's simply calling you to the initial step of saying yes to him. Maybe he's calling you to the step of a baptism today. Maybe he's calling you to the step of becoming a volunteer. Maybe he's calling you to the step of leading a group. Maybe he's calling you to the step of being a regular giver or renewing your commitment to being part of the family of God and consistently coming and participating in the gathering of believers. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today about your journey. But I know he's calling all of us unto himself. And that if you keep answering his call, he is always faithful. And you will live a life of resilient faith. God, we thank you. Jesus, we are so grateful for who you are. We're grateful for your life. We're grateful for your death, for your burial, for your resurrection, and we're grateful for your faithfulness. God, I thank you. I speak over this church, over this house, God, that you have called us to live, that we will live in a lasting faith, that there is resilient faith here, God, built on the solid foundation of you, Jesus. We thank you for good fruit. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, amen church. What a good day to be together.